You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. This podcast is gold. Basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball gold. Hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. Welcome to Basketball Gold, everybody, with Fratello and Phelps. I'm Jeff Phelps, my partner former NBA head coach, NBA color analyst, now with the Los Angeles Clippers and the Cleveland Cavaliers, Mr. Mike Fratello. How are you, sir? Doing great. Good to be with you once again. And lots going on in the NBA right now. Yeah, let's let's start with some, some sad news, Mike. Uh, former NBA head coach, former NBA player, NBA champion, Paul Silas passed away at the age of 79 over the weekend. And I had the pleasure of working with Paul when he was head coach of the Cavaliers for two seasons. You knew Paul a lot more extensively than I did. Uh, your thoughts when you think of Paul Silas? Just one of those special people that comes along every so often when you think about what he achieved in a six foot seven uh, frame that did not have the greatest athleticism, but understood the game, played with his heart, with his soul, with his intelligence, had an inner toughness about him. There's certain guys you always classified as being a winner, and that was Paul Silas. And it was an honor for me to coach against him during my career. And then after the fact for him, because he lived in Charlotte, when I would go in and and compete against the Charlotte Hornets, I'd turn and there would be Paul in the stands. He would come to their home games and watch the team play because he lived there and loved the game so much. And it was always an opportunity to say hello to Paul and his lovely wife. And uh, then you follow his son's career, starting out as an assistant in the NBA and now the head coach of the Houston Rockets. And this was just one of those special guys that means so much to the foundation of what has happened and the building of the NBA to where it is right now. When you think back, Paul played for, in the league, Lenny Wilkins at one point. And I believe Paul averaged a double-double at his size, playing the power forward position, mm-hmm. mostly undersized, night in and night out. And averaged a double-double, I think, nine seasons. And that's not too bad for a guy six foot seven. And when he was at Creighton, he averaged over 20 points and over 20 rebounds a game. When I worked with him, Mike, LeBron James had just come to the Cavaliers. Paul Silas was his first head coach. He was there for two years. And I thought, that's a that's an interesting and a pretty sharp hire to bring a guy who had played in the league, had been a longtime assistant in the league, had certainly paid dues because from the time he was the head coach of, what, the San Diego Clippers in his late 30s, was 15 years before he got another shot to be a head coach. And that, that came in Charlotte. 
and kind of a, a, a strong, experienced figure to help LeBron through his first two years in the NBA. I think it was actually a great hire by them, the fact that they could bring somebody in who had accomplished what he had accomplished, who was about winning, who came from one of the greatest franchises in the NBA, the Boston Celtics, and could pass on his experiences. And this was a family man whose values, core values, uh, were what LeBron himself said uh, impressed him so much in his rookie season. So when Paul would say something to LeBron, it was coming not only from his head coach, but it was coming from an established uh, fatherly type figure mm-hmm. that LeBron could try to learn from, listen to, and have the respect for him because of what he had done in his playing career. So it might have been just the guy to handle an 18-year-old coming into the NBA uh, who was going to wind up being one of the all-time, if not all-time, greatest players in the history of this league and soon will become the number one scorer in the history of this league and a guy who has gone on himself to win NBA championships. So Paul Silas may have had something to do with the roots taking hold, taking place in the beginning of his career. We did a Cavaliers pregame thing with Paul when he was the head coach, Mike. Uh, I learned that he was a music aficionado. So we kind of did a name that tune sit down thing with Paul and we had music ready to play for him. And boom, and it was Motown songs that we, we focused in on. He was outstanding. He had a lot of fun with that. So he loved the music was terrific doing, you know, the name that tune thing, but always a respectful guy who I, I enjoy covering and certainly a, a big loss for the NBA. And our thoughts are with the Silas family and Steven, of course, the head coach of the Houston Rockets. So, um, Paul had a fine career and certainly a guy that a lot of folks around the NBA looked up to and respected without question. I think it says a little something about the players on the team and the respect that they have for the Silas name because when they played that night, uh, when everyone had learned of the passing of Paul Silas and Stephen, his son, was not there with the team, Yeah, they go out against Milwaukee and win the game against Milwaukee. And I would think that was a present from the team to their head coach saying, we miss you, we respect you, and this is an honor of your dad, who was so important to the growth of the NBA and to where these young people are nowadays because of the the pace setters way back that you know got things going, helped it grow, and has had this league expand to 30 teams now over the years. And Paul Silas was certainly instrumental in that. And that was their way of saying, I think, thank you to Paul Silas. And I read, Mike, some of those very comments from the Rockets. So you're absolutely right on the money. As we do this podcast, it's um, uh, Cavaliers sitting at 17 and 10. They are sitting third in the Eastern Conference, just finished that three-game homestand where they went two and one. They had a win over the Lakers had a terrible loss to the Sacramento Kings. And then a win over the Oklahoma City Thunder on the next night. The win over the Lakers, Mike, 43 points for Donovan Mitchell. He was outstanding. Cavs kind of gave up the lead, came back and got that one. And then against the Kings and the Thunder, Donovan Mitchell didn't play. The Kings, Mike, you're up by eight points with 450 to go. 
And then it's every coach's nightmare. It was a 19 to nothing run by Sacramento to close out the game and win that one. You're a head coach. In this case, you're J.B. Bickerstaff. You get something like that going. How helpless are you as a coach to, to stop that, Mike? What are you thinking in a situation like that? How does that go? Because there are only so many timeouts you can call. There are so many, only so many things you can do, I would think. As a head coach, there are certain things you can do. One, you use your timeouts. Now, obviously, you want to have one or two left for the end of the game situations if you can. You make substitutions, put different personnel on the floor. You search for someone that can get you a bucket when you need it. And one of those guys was not there, and that was yeah. Donovan Mitchell, who you put the ball in his hands and you hope that he's going to not only get you a basket, but chances are pretty good he may get to the foul line. And that was my next point I would make, is that you try to get to the foul line to break that run of the opponents, to get your defense set up with the clock stopped, and hopefully then you go on to maintain or hold on to the lead that you have. But sometimes that snowball gets going and the team winds up with perimeter jump shots that don't go in. They wind up bouncing out long. Sacramento's a team that wants to run, wants to get out and play in transition. Your defense doesn't get a chance uh, to set up. They wind up going on a run where they can't miss a shot. You can't make a shot. You've tried everybody you can try from the bench to try and change the chemistry of the team out on the floor. And I've been in a situation where you feel helpless. Here. You've tried everything. You've used your timeouts. You've changed the assignments defensively to get the guy out of the, the offensive rhythm of what Sacramento was doing at that time. Maybe get a different guy on him to try and slow that one particular guy down or two guys down. And then other than that, Maybe you make the sign of the cross and pray real hard. If that <laughs> candles with you, you could light a candle yeah. and hope that it would help. Now, on the bench, that could be problematic, though, couldn't it? All of those warm-ups flying around. Yeah, that's a candle. Fire Marshall, Marshall would come in and say, you got to put that out. I think they would. Um, the nice thing is the Cavs bounce back the next night against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And three guys stepped up. No Donovan Mitchell, but Karis LeVert had 22. It was 21 and 11 rebounds for Jared Allen and 22 points and 11 rebounds for Evan Mobley. And without Donovan Mitchell, Mike, I, I would think even though, you know, even, even though in practice, whatever else you take a guy like that out, I would think there's an adjustment for the, for the rest of the guys, because as you said, you need a guy to knock down a basket. Well, who's that guy? And you said Donovan Mitchell, when he's not there, how do you, how, how do you get used to it again if you're a player? Is that any problem at all? And is there an adjustment for the guys who are on the floor? Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm sure you could ask any one of the former coaches that have you know been in the league for a number of years, and uh, you get those kinds of guys just for that reason. You get the Michael Jordans, you get the uh, Isaiah Thomas, you get the Larry Birds, 
you get those players that you know you can put the ball in their hands and the odds are going to be in your favor that they're going to make something good happen. And when they're missing, how do you replace them? So you try to go to the guy who's the next guy in line as your go-to guy. You try to run stuff for him. Maybe you, if he's a frontline guy, maybe you try to get him down the low post area where if they wind up double teaming him, he can pass out, pass over, swing the ball, outnumber the defense, get an open look at the basket. But, you know, I'm sure just like you, Jeff, when you walk around the city, I have had more people come up to me and say, what do you think about the Cavaliers? Do you think they really have a chance this year? And I always start off the answer to the question with, it depends on injuries because Mm -hmm. injuries can just take a season away from a team that is on the verge of doing something special. If you can avoid the serious injuries and have a chance then when you get down the stretch to go to the playoffs, when you get in the playoffs, you never know what's going to happen. Just think about the year way back when Detroit, after the Lakers had beaten them uh, the year before on Kareem's remember that hook shot by Kareem over Lambeer and they called a foul on Lambeer. But that following season, when the Pistons came back in the practices, getting ready for that last series, Magic Johnson, Byron Scott were both injured in the practices. And if I'm right, Detroit wound up sweeping them in that championship series. It was either 4-0 or 4-1, but they didn't have their backcourt. So when you have key guys being out, it doesn't give you the same chance as when you have the full complement of players there. So do the Cavaliers have a very good team? Yes. Do they have a deep roster? Yes. But they're only good if they're there in uniform and can play for you. So that's why if they can stay healthy, might miss a game or two here or there. But overall, that's what's going to carry you through to the record that you get, hopefully with home court advantage, and then hopefully through the rounds of the playoffs. This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. I'm Jeff Phelps. My day job is working at 92.3 The Fan, doing sports talk in Cleveland from 10 to 2. Mike was gracious enough to be on with us last week, and it was the day that Brittany Griner was released from the Russian prison camp with the prisoner swap. And Mike, you spoke about that, and we didn't have a ton of time to go in depth on it. We do here, and and something that follows with your experience in the old Soviet Union. And first of all, the basketball world was watching, the whole world was, but everybody in basketball really paying attention to what was going on with Brittany Griner. And I know the basketball world thrilled to have her back in the United States out of a Russian prison camp. That was a, a... an unbelievable situation and thank God for everybody that it's resolved. And I know the basketball world was just kind of on pins and needles about that whole thing while she was over there and things were being negotiated. Thank goodness it's over. What an incredible display of unity I felt uh, throughout our country, uh, particularly in you know, the sports world, uh, following Brittany, what was going on. Uh, the NBA backing and supporting uh, the WNBA uh, and then the NBA as well, uh, consistently reaching out and using the platform that they had uh, to let the world know uh, that everyone had felt here that uh, the crime did not deserve what the punishment was and therefore to sentence her to nine years imprisonment 
and then move her from where she was imprisoned uh, to the camp that they sent her to, which, according to reports, is not supposed to be the, the best place or the place you want to spend nine years of your sentence. So the fact that our government was able to negotiate her release, uh, and it was costly for us, but yeah. she's an American citizen, and we do what we have to do to make it work. And I guess when the negotiations got to the point where Russia said, that's it, we're going no more. It's no two, three people for one person. This is what we'll give you back. And this is what we expect to get back. And at that point, President Biden and his staff made the decision that this is the time for us to make that decision that yes, we'll do that deal. and Let's get Brittany back here in the United States. It's hard for us to really understand uh, how this can happen. But as more and more people kept on saying uh, what their opinions were about this, it was that when you're dealing with Putin and he plays by his rules, you don't have a whole lot to say when they're holding, okay, one of our citizens there in their camp. So I thought our athletes, I thought our league, our commissioner used the platform as best they could to let everyone know we're not forgetting about it. It's not like, okay, this is six months later. It's kind of gone by out of our minds right now. That wasn't the case. This was something that was consistently mentioned, consistently brought up. People consistently talked about it. So hopefully let Brittany know that the people back here in the United States care about what's happening to you. And we all hope that we can do something about it. Mike, a lot of WNBA players in the WNBA offseason have played in Russia. A lot of uh, a lot of male players have played in Russia and guys that we've seen in the NBA. If you're a player, are you thinking twice about it? I'm, I'm guessing you thought twice about it before all this happened. Are you thinking three times about it now? I mean, would, would you go do that? Or would you think, you know, I'm going to go to the G League, I'm going to go to Spain, I'm going to go do something else? For those who might be listening uh, and watching our podcast that uh, may not have the background of understanding how all this took place. If you go back uh, years ago, we didn't have a WNBA like it is the WNBA is right now. So our best players who came out of college, the female basketball players would go to other countries, take their basketball skills there and play in other countries and different countries are kind of ranked as higher levels, middle levels or lower level countries. And they would make money there uh, to subsidize whatever they might be doing after they came out of college playing college basketball. And then when the WNBA uh, took you know giant steps to move forward, our ladies that were participating in the WNBA then would still go over after their season was done and play in the season of whatever country they decided to go to to make more money because the WNBA in the beginning was only paying so much and they had some rule that one player on a team could be like the star player and that's who got the biggest amount of money. I think it may have started out at $250,000 if I remember, uh, Jeff, if that was correct, but only one girl on a team could get that kind of money. And then the other ones were always hustling to make more money uh, to be able to do what they'd like to do with their life. So going over, and the, the WNBA season is not as long as an NBA season. So 
you know, the wear and tear is not as bad. You, you need more basketball and you need more money. Right. So going over to Russia was one of the places that you went to because it was very competitive. It was a very good level of basketball and they paid very good money to the right. girls who went over. So same thing would happen with the men who couldn't make it in the NBA uh, once they got done or the, once they were cut, let's say, from an NBA uh, exhibition season, they weren't going to make the final roster. They would go seek out the best countries. And over the years, it's evolved because way back, Jeff, the number one place to go outside of the NBA was actually Italy. Italy had the best basketball league, the best competition yeah. and paid the, the most money. What happened is the Italian government got selfish, got greedy, and put a tax on the players' monies oh, wow. over there. I think it was either 60 or 65% of what they earned went back to the government. And the players said, why would we come here and play when they could go to other countries who were also playing and developing their leagues like Spain, like Greece, like Turkey, uh, Russia, and that's what happened. The Italian league, which was the best outside of the NBA at one time, started to slide down the ladder. And these other countries started to move up the ladder. So you'd have players that would go over, didn't make it in the NBA, oftentimes because their season ended because uh, before the NBA season ended. You would see teams pick up a guy that had just come back from playing over in Turkey or playing over in Greece and he was back with maybe a month ago in the NBA season, three weeks ago. And teams would sign and pick him up if they needed somebody uh, down the stretch. So that's kind of the background of what had taken place with all that. In 1988, Mike, and you're the, you couldn't be the more perfect guy to talk about this situation in the international. In the summer of 1988, you're the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks, and your Hawks team, part of your team, went to the Russia, the Soviet Union at the time for what, three exhibition games against some type of Soviet national team. How did that come about? Because I can't even imagine now taking an NBA team and saying, or, or parts of a team and saying, we're going over in the summer and we're playing games and we're representing our country. It was kind of a, a it hadn't been done before, Mike, and you guys did it. How did it come about? It's an incredible story. And, and please correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe Khrushchev was the president at that time of the Soviet Union. I think that's right. My Russian history is a little lacking, I will say. Yeah, I need to go back and read my Russian history books. Um, however, um, Ted Turner, the owner of the Atlanta Hawks, who had founded this station that was going to run for 24 hours a day and was going to... Mm have a lot of news for people to listen to. What do you uh, know? It was a fledgling <laughs> operation in the beginning. Yeah. It was trying to borrow money from everywhere to keep this thing afloat. Uh, by the way, it's now known as CNN and headline news and TNT in the sports world. And, NBA, you know, NBA basketball is tied into TV, that. TBS. So, yeah, exactly. True TV yeah. is part of that, the whole thing. So, so that Ted worked. Started, <laughs> that worked. Yes. Ted had started... Uh, something called the Goodwill Games. And I remember he asked me the first year, would I go over when our season was over and said, will you go over and broadcast? I'd never been in broadcasting before, but my owner asked me, would I go over to his games, the Goodwill Games, 
And this was an effort, you know, Ted felt an, an effort on his part to make friends out of the Soviet Union and the United States with that Cold War going on. And I said, of course, if he wanted me to go over. So I wound up going over to broadcast the world championship, which happened to come down to the Soviet Union versus the United States. And my two partners broadcasting that were, it's incredible to think about it, but um, a guy named Rick Barry, who wasn't a bad basketball player for the Golden State Warriors. That's a fact. And uh, perhaps uh, one of the greatest ever to play in the NBA, Bill Russell. And those are the three of us broadcasting the game. And we were in row, whatever the letter is that comes after Z, that's that was our role where we were broadcasting from. And I'll never forget with two minutes to go, the producer in our headset said, Russell Fratello, go down to the court and wait down there till the game ends. And if the United States wins, it was like a tie game back and forth the whole game. If the United States wins, we're going to interview each player on the United States team. Each? Rick Power, you stay up on top and call the last two minutes of the game. Did Rick call the game, Mike? Was Rick, Rick the Rick called the game? Okay. Bill and I walk all the way down to the floor, and they said to us, Oh, by the way, you won't be able to hear us in your ear down on the floor. We have no connection down there. So there's going to be a guy kneeling down that will be giving you hand signals. Look for him and follow him. If you win the game. So here's the great story, Jeff. We we go down on the floor. We're waiting. The game ends. United States wins. I think it was like 51 to 50 or 50, 49. You know, the final score. Teams jumping up and down. They're grabbing all the USA players, lining them up. So I said to Bill, look, we'll just go back and forth. I'll do one. You do one. I'll do one. You do one. So it gives you a chance to look at the next guy and think, you know, what you might want to ask him. Yeah. So I said, you want to go first? He goes, no, 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 you you go first. I said, okay. So I'm looking for the guy on his knee. I find him with his hand, and he's like this, five, five seconds. And he goes, five, four, three, two, one, boom. Here comes the first guy, and I, it's Muggsy Bogues, all five <laughs> foot three, five foot four of Muggsy Bogues. I said, Muggsy Bogues, my man, congratulations, Muggsy, winning the championship. What a great performance. And we talk and talk and get done. I go, Bill, over to you. So Bill's got the next guy. Then Bill throws it back to me. I've got the third guy. Well, just before the tournament, a player named Steve Kerr for the United States, who you might Mm -hmm. recognize the name, blows his knee out. And he cannot participate. At the last second, they added a player to the USA squad. Well, we weren't following every game. We went over there to call the finals. Sure. Now, when I get done with number three, I go, Bill, back to you. And Bill looks at the next guy, and it happened to be the guy who replaced Steve Kerr. And Bill had no idea who it was. I had no idea who it was. And Bill goes, nah, keep it. And he throws it right back to me again. And thank goodness that that player was a a super class act because he knew we were struggling. And without moving his lips, he did a great job of saying, Sean, 
Elliott. And oh, I nice. hear him say Sean Elliott. And I went, Sean Elliott, welcome to Team USA. Thank you for replacing Steve Kerr. And we did the interview and then moved on. That's but great. And I laughed so hard when that was over. We got done. And I said, I'm going to kill you for doing that. He said, I didn't know who it was. I said, I didn't either. And what are you know the funny moments of that interview at the end? That's awesome. So that was the beginning of the relationship with the Soviet Union, with Ted Turner. And then you fast forward, okay, when I'm coaching the Hawks, what yeah. happened after that? Welcome to Basketball Gold. If you're just tuning in for this one, it's Fratello and Phelps. We just talked about a little background that led to Mike taking the Atlanta Hawks to Russia, the Soviet Union at the time in the summer of 1988 to play some exhibition games against the Soviet Union. What kind of a sales job did you have to do on your players, Mike? What did the organization need a sales job? How did that come about after kind of setting the tone with the goodwill games that we talked about just a little bit ago? Well, to be honest, the players wanted no part of it. It was their summer. It was time off. Uh, the time you get away from basketball to do the things you want to do with your family. But he was our owner asking them. We had a big meeting with everyone, the players. Uh, with Mr. Turner and one of his right-hand men, um, Bob, i just forgetting his last name right now, but he was kind of one of the guys Ted would always turn to. And Bob Wessler, I believe, was his name. And he explained to us what a phenomenal trip this is going to be. You're going to be on the Black Sea. You're going to be resort in a, in a resort, casinos, gambling, uh, fun time, nightclubs, restaurants, to go along with the three games that you're going to play in three different cities okay, around the country. Sign me up. Yeah, you know, so then it was still a little bit of resistance. So whoever came up with the idea of how about this? How about we get the first bunch of you, first five or six that want to go over. You come over and play either the first and first and second game or then the next group will come over and you guys go and we'll play the second and third or just the last game, whatever is remaining. Last game was going to be in the biggest city, Moscow, was going to be in the huge arena that they had with over 20,000 people. So first two games were in much smaller cities. So we go over and our first, maybe first hint that maybe it wasn't going to be exactly like we thought it was going to be was yeah. our plane landed out on a runway field. We were probably a half a mile away from the building that we were told was the terminal that we had to get to uh -oh. because that's where the buses would be. So everybody takes what they have in their hand, gets off the plane, and we start walking. Well, the only problem is our bags were still out at the plane, meaning the big bags that we had taken for the whole trip. Well, there were no guys to bring the bags to us, okay? It didn't work like that. So we find a truck sitting alongside the building. We asked who had the keys, and we asked, could we borrow it to go pick up the bags? Uh -oh. We drive back out, three of us back out to the plane, and we load all the bags onto the truck to bring to the buses that we had. Load everything up, tell everybody, let's get on it, and let's take off and go to the 
luxury hotel that we're heading to for this resort area. Well, on the way, Jeff, we encountered about five or six cows that were walking across the street. Oh, and they know. just decided that they didn't want to complete the journey. So they just <laughs> laid down in the middle of the street <laughs> and we were stuck. And we sat on the bus until they could get the cows up and could get them to move. We proceed on and we didn't quite get to the luxury hotel, but we got to cement old used dormitories oh. that they weren't using anymore oh. for the national teams in the Soviet Union getting ready for things like the World Championships, Olympic Games, that type of thing. These set of buildings had been outdated, not used anymore. That's where we stayed with no screens on the windows. It was about 90 degrees outside at night. The mosquitoes, Jeff, were bigger than you, and they <laughs> loved biting me in particular. Oh, besides nice, nice. Else. oh you're a nice guy. What a first night. The electricity blew out in night number one in the uh, building, and we all gathered on the top floor with candles to sit up for about two or three hours until they could restore the lighting. That was the beginning of the trip. So you had some guys with you. Other guys came over. Was the basketball tolerable? Were the were the Soviet Union players, you know, were they receptive of what was going on? First, we understood that that was the national team. That was the Soviet Union national team, the one that competes in the Olympics, trying to win the gold medal. And their national team had never lost a game in their country. No one had ever beaten mm -hmm. them coming into the Soviet Union. So we come in, and the first group of guys that we had, Jeff, we were a little bit short on numbers of people. So we had one of my players had his brother come with us. Another player had his roommate come with us. And then there was a friend that hung around with those guys that came with us. We had to put them in uniforms so we had enough guys <laughs> to either practice four-on-four four or five-on-five five because the other guys hadn't arrived yet in the Soviet Union. Oh, man. So game number one in the first city that we played went down to the wire and we wind up winning by two or three points, the, the Hawks team. We travel to the next city a couple days in between and now we play game number two. Tie score at the end of the game. We go to overtime. We beat them in overtime. I think it was John Battle made a huge shot in the overtime to help us win game number two. Those guys get their hats and they're out of there. Okay. And here come the replacement troops. Well, the replacement troops kind of came in and said, ah, we won two out of three. That's the series. We're good. But we had one more game to play in the biggest building with the biggest crowd. And it was the only game that our owner decided to put on TV back in the United States. Oh, boy. So it was on TBS back in the United States, game number three. And they were so humiliated, the Soviet team, that they had lost two games to our partial squad. And that roommates. They went out and, and roommates. <laughs> they tried to beat us by 100 points, Jeff. I, we lost. I don't even remember how bad the loss was, but it just seemed like they kept running it up, running it up. 
little bit humiliating that that's what all people were seeing back in the United States. But as our guys said, my, relax. We won two out of three. We won the series. <laughs> yeah, we didn't win the TV game, though. You, I, I'm going to spring this one on you because you told me some time ago, you were, we were talking about this trip, and you said the food wasn't good, and you took it upon yourself to do a little cooking on that trip. Do you remember that? It's exactly right. We had we got into Moscow for that last game, and we were going to be in Moscow for, I think, three days. And it was just the food was tough at points, you know, for the guys to take. So I had called back uh, to New York. I talked to the league office and said, is there any way we can send some food over on a flight so that we can cook it, whatever? They send a plane load of everything I had asked for. Things that we couldn't get, you know, over there, we went out to buy on the black market. Like if you wanted <laughs> oil and vinegar, if you wanted vinegar for the salad, <laughs> on the black market and pay for it to get vinegar. Oh, my God. The hotel we were staying in, they introduced me to the chefs. There were three master chefs in the, the big kitchen of this hotel. And they basically said to me, these three gentlemen, with their help, are at your disposal to do whatever you want them to do. So we set out, and I, I think we kept the menu um, very simple. Now, a lot of the dignitaries had come over. Oh. You know, Commissioner Stern at that time, David Stern had come over with his wife, and they wanted to see this third game. We had 125 people at the dinner that night. <laughs> we wound up making salad. We wound up making spaghetti. And we wound up making chicken breasts. And that oh. was our meal that we had for the team and the rest of the guest visitors that attended. <laughs> oh, did you? And I was in the kitchen. And I had a lot of other people that were with us in the kitchen helping did you out. Did you cook or did you just work a straight? Who's going to make the pasta except me? <laughs> well, I, I assumed it had to be you. You, know, you you grew, grew up working in your folks' diner, right? So you you had no choice. Listen, uh, if you wanted to have sauce done to put on top of the pasta, if you didn't want brown gravy, you better do it yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, and Mike, as much of a of a hell ride as that trip was for you and your team, let's be honest, it kind of started an international thing that or at the very least accelerated international basketball and, and infiltration of, of international players into the NBA, which has turned out to be a great thing for everybody. And, and I think you and the Hawks played a, a real instrumental role in that. I, I really feel that way, that that group of people that went over and, and put the days in and put the time and effort in to make that happen uh, from Ted's standpoint where – he thought of the whole thing and said, you know, let's go do it and uh, got us all buy in. And we went over there and I will never forget the last night. The Soviet team came to the hotel that we were staying in and there was an area in there that the players could all hang out and see each other. And and remember, Sharunas Marshallonas, the great yeah. guard who played over on the play for Golden State. Yep. He was a free agent. So he never went into the NBA draft because he was a year older. So we, meaning the Hawks and Golden State, were like head-to-head -head trying to recruit him and try to sign him. 
as a free agent. Meanwhile, we, the Hawks, drafted uh, Sasha Volkov, and he wound up playing for the Atlanta Hawks for three years. So that group, and there was another person that we drafted even before Sasha, and that was Arvidas Sabonis, the great center. We drafted him in the fourth round. Nobody knew about him. And everybody went, who's this guy, Arvidas Sabonis, seven foot three from Soviet Union that Atlanta drafted? He was one of the greatest centers in the world at that time, if not the best at that time when he was young. But because of what he was making there, endorsements, and he had an ankle that wasn't really good and could not speak a word of English, he was nervous to come over. So Mm -hmm. he refused to come over. And at that time, if you drafted somebody and they did not come that year, he went back into the draft the next season. So Arvidas went back in and Portland took him with their first round pick the next year. Six years later, he joined the Portland Trailblazers. They had surgery for his ankle and he gave them probably four or five terrific seasons at the end of his career. If we would have seen him when he was young, he was incredible, that guy. But the story I wanted to tell is those players all came from the Soviet Union to our hotel after the game that night. Yeah. They asked me if I would come with them into a, a private room. And they that handed sounds, me a that brown- sounds scary, Mike. That one sounds yeah. scary. <laughs> they handed me a brown bag. And they said, this is from us. We want to give it to you. And it was a bag full of rubles. Does that sound right? Okay. The, the monetary system that they used at that time. They give me this bag of rubles of money. And, and all the players had chipped in, wow. put it in there to say thank you for coming over, for playing, for giving the exposure for what we had done. And I looked at them and I said, look, I'm flattered. I'm thankful. I would divide this up amongst my players, but there's nowhere for us to use this. Where are we going to use it? It would be not in Atlanta. No, it would be wasting your hard earned money. So I want you to take it back and divide it amongst all your children, your wives, girlfriends, whatever you want to do and say, thank you for giving us a great, great experience in our life and letting us be part of this. And that was the last night we spent together over there. I've heard parts of that story before. Thank you for sharing the full story. And if anybody wants to read a little bit more about it. I, I had looked it up to find out some other things, Mike. I, I'm sure you remember Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated wrote a terrific piece on it just about five years ago and talked to you in that. So there's some more detail and some other things in that that if anybody wants more, go go take a look at that and, and you'll find it. Well done, sir. We'll do Thanks. another one coming up. It's Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. Thanks for listening, everybody.